So like at that point, actually, it already had like a very peculiar boot setup with head. Like I had a lot of cuts. I had a lot of carbon in the back. I had all these things um, that I'd like made my like setup before this rule change really good. Yep. And I didn't want to mess with that too much because I liked how like the position it put me in, especially like. I mean, this is another like side tangent course setting at the time was like really tight and turny. And so you need something that turned a lot. Nowadays, like back then it was like 24 meters from turn, GS turn to GS turn on average and like pretty turny. Nowadays it's like 28 meters and dead straight. So like the sports changed a lot as far as like course setting in that like that time frame. Yeah, okay. Um, but so like you needed something that would like crank a tight radius and like you could hold across the fall line as well. Yeah. Um, and so like I just had a lot of like cuts in it. Welcome back to another episode of the Big Picture Skiing Podcast. I'm Tom Gelly, and yes, that was Ted Ligarty talking about the change in radius skis and length of skis back in 2012-2013. And that era was an era Ted Ligarty dominated the sport in GS. He was a cut above everyone else. I can remember watching races where he would win by over two seconds, which is just outstanding. And so we kick off this interview with exactly what did he do? What changes did he make? Because he was actually a voice against the change in the skis back then, yet he was the one that rose to the top. And what's really cool is just before this, I was skiing in the East with Manny Osborne Parody, a Canadian Olympic skier and World Cup speed skier. And he actually posed the question to Ted. I said, what would you ask him? Anything you could ask Ted Ligarty. And he asked him, what did you do to dominate the sport and what did you do with training, equipment, physiology, technique to get there? So there's some really interesting insights now that Ted is retired that he can talk about. But I think you'll find some really new insights, some things you've never heard from Ted before in this podcast. We get into some nice things like talking about skiing with children, so his son Jax and what he's done to, to make that a fun and enjoyable experience. He talks about his recent partnership as an ambassador for the online digital ski coach Carve, which is really interesting. So he's now helping to develop training programs and drive that new technology, as well as the story about Shred, his brand of optics and protection wear for skiers. So I think this is some really cool stuff to bite into here, to listen from a man who has achieved like such high levels of ski racing and dominance. And if you're a ski nerd, you definitely know who Ted Ligarty is and wanna to listen to every little ounce of information he's got. A final word from me, if you're a skier that loves learning, that loves getting better, loves improving, and you want a resource, I've built something, Big Picture Skiing. I have an app as well where I produce videos, content, all sorts of information that is designed to help you improve and take ownership of your learning and really get to the, the highest potential of skiing that you can get to. So on there, if you want to check it out, I invite you to visit bigpictureskiing.com. There's a seven-day free trial. You can see what the videos are about. There's just been new content released in the last few days. Lots of great feedback from the subscribers and members already about that. And I'd just like to say a big thank you to those of you that listen to the Big Picture Skiing podcast and all the Big Picture Skiing social media channels. 
Thank you. I'm really appreciative and I will continue to bring out more interesting content to help you enjoy and love the sport we all love here, which is skiing. All right, let's get into the podcast. I'm going to kick this off, not with me, but I've been uh, hanging out with uh, Manny Osborne Parody the last few days. Yeah. And I said, what would you ask Ted Ligarty <laughs> if, you, if you had to ask me a question? So I'm going to, I'm going to play his, his question and then uh, we'll kick it off there. All right, Ted. So Tom and I have been chatting this week and he, he was excited that you're going to be on his podcast and whatnot. And I, he was saying, hey, listen, what, what kind of question would you ask Ted? And I actually I, I knew right away what question I would ask you because I think it's, it's very cool. Um, I was just wondering, now that you're not uh, you know, racing, I'm sure you can share this, but just how you got the confidence in yourself to you know, change from Rosignol to head and then when that needed to happen and then how did you just change your, your skiing approach and, and your tactics to getting to, uh, to getting proficient on the longer ski? You were really, you know, you were a huge voice of, of reason but negativity uh, with the longer ski and the longer side cut and how that maybe was not as advantageous to viewerships and all that stuff. But Again, you then were able to like shut that off and go and relearn how to ski on a ski. And you, I mean, essentially you innovated a new style of skiing on, on how to get around the gates, which is like super cool to me. I have to like tons of respect for that to, to say, hey, listen, you know, the style of skiing that works now isn't the style of skiing that needs to work in the future. And, and you know, the payoff was huge. So, you know, kudos to you, my man. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, there, there's a lot of pieces to that. That uh, so, if I can, so the first question I guess is like the switch from Rossi to head, which like when I was on Rossi, I like won the GS title, and the next year I switched to head. So like I'd done well, but I actually considered that season like a little bit of a failure because I didn't win Olympic medal at, in uh, Vancouver, um, and I mean honestly, it was like kind of an easy switch because. I tested the head skis. I liked them. I thought they like matched well with my skiing. And like, in some senses, like sometimes like switching ski companies, like for a racer is like kind of like a kick in the butt, a motivator. Like you're like, and it like kind of reinvigorates you. Um, and head was in a place where they wanted to throw a lot of resources and like, we're like, okay, like you need a new boot. We can make you a new boot. You need a new what? Like they're just like doing all that. And Rossi was in the inverse place where they're like, what you get is what you get right now. We're like in, like, they're in bunker mode. So I mean that for that sense, that was a, a easy uh, decision I think in my on my side of things. Um, and then he was getting into like the 2012, 2013 like ski switch. So that came out the year before that. And initially they decided like so originally like our skis, my like race skis when I won like the title the next year on head, 2010 11 were like my like the rule was 27 meters and the skis just had to be over 185 which nobody ever skied on a 185 or a 27 meter radius my skis were like a 29 meter radius in their 191s um and initially they like, first had the rule come out as like 40 meter radius and like that was a complete joke and actually like head was part of that like testing that fist was mandating they made a pair of those and they like we brought a pair down to New Zealand that year, and like, I, 
wish I looked as good as Phil Mayer <laughs> going down the course, you know? It was, a, it was a complete joke. And that like made my blood boil and a lot of other people's blood boil when they actually did that. And I think like after they had like tested a couple times, they realized like, okay, this is like a really horrible decision. They took it to 35, which still at that point was like still old school skiing. And like, so I was like pissed, A, because I think like my personal view on equipment rules is there should be no rules. They're like, we should self-regulate ourselves. Like, I don't want to put a pair of equipment on myself that like maybe I maximize speed, but like I am in a dangerous position because like for me as an athlete, like my longevity and like ability to be consistent is more important than like maximum speed. So I think like as us athletes, like I want a pair of skis that I can consistently make at the bottom of the, of the course without like the skis forcing mistakes on me. And that's going to be the fastest, but also the safest way. So like leave it to me to regulate myself. And so that's, I guess, my viewpoint on that. So like having a ski rule come through that is like in a way perceived to be like designed against me because it's Tony Giger who is the head of the Austrian Ski Federation kind of coming up with the rules and doing the testing. Um, and then the, like none of the athletes had any input, input like that just pissed me off on a, on a fundamental level. And I thought that it was going to be bad for the sport. I didn't think it was going to change any injuries, which is really the impetus for doing it. Like the reason there's injuries in skiing is that you have a two meter long lever arm attached to your ski attached to your foot like yeah there's no way around that like whether you make it straight or side cut like it's still two meter li long lever arm yeah. like yeah. attached to your leg that you don't want coming off in high g situations so therefore it doesn't come off always when you fall and so they, that's really i guess the core issue of like safety there so i didn't think like side cut really had anything to do with it um so i was pissed and i like so i like obviously voiced my opinion, wrote some things and yada yada. But like once it was done, I was like, head, let's start making prototypes. This is a year before it came in. Like, let's start making prototypes now. And I can start iterating because like, we're going to have to get creative on ideas to make these things ski in a way that we can like keep a modern technique on. And there's like, we're gonna have to start manipulating ways to do that. Yeah. So, so what, so what things, can you then manipulate within what they've sort of said, these are the rules to then make, what, what did you start doing to make it work? I mean, first just like start iterations of like what the current ski was in within the confines. And then like the first big thing that like nobody else was doing at that time was we just basically made like, we took a, an idea out of like the powder skis and made a reverse camber tip. tip. And like, I don't think anybody else like head didn't actually make that in the factory we would just like go and then bend it after it came out um and so that just like made the front of the ski like hook in yep um so that was like one piece um within head we made like so in reading the rules like where they measure the side cut we made like a fishtail ski so like instead of being a 195 like if you were to truly do the side cut instead of being a 195 it would have been like a 192 and then the side cut would kind of like come, the tail of the ski was really narrow. Right. And so where they would measure, where they measure it would be narrower. And so the side, you'd manipulate the side cut. <laughs> right. And two weeks before it sold, and that was like my fastest ski, was that rule became illegal. 
because they like saw that that was like happening. And so then we had to go back to like the second best pair of skis um, at that point, which like obviously it was like working well for me at that point. And then another piece is like we made the boots way softer also really? because like you just knew you need to like hyper flex everything in order to like be able to pull the radius. And you need to like have the boot soft enough that you could like hold that position, like not have like the boot rebound you out of it. Yeah. So you could like hold that position longer um, to be able to like keep the turn shape going to actually pull the ski around. Yeah. Um, so with, so. with, so the boot thing, like I've listened to some uh, podcasts where Bodhi talks about boots and he seems to be really into like, you know, like the direction it flexes and how that affects like the, the radius of the ski or you flexing it affects how the ski turns. So did Head give you the opportunity to, with the boot thing, did you have some influence over, I want, I want the boot to kind of work this way? And, and if so, can you, can, you, can you help me understand how that works? I'm st I think I sort of get it, but I'm trying to get my head around like, so when your ankle flexes and it's on edge, like why would it be flexing one way and make it turn harder versus less? Um, I mean, so like my personal boot at that time, I mean, I like, so I guess to break it down, like in that sense, like, so if the boot like doesn't allow you to like flex to the inside, which would be like into the turn or yep. like that would make it more aggressive going inside, but like if it could still flex forward, but push you out, that would give you like that support onto the inside, but also would let you flex forward is like one way. I mean, for me, I like to be aligned like pretty straight. Yeah. Like. Um, I didn't like my boots to like push me out one way when I started flexing. Yeah. Um, I just kind of like liked my like the way my natural anatomy would work, just like flexing straight forward, and that would like you know the boot like if you like stand in a pair of boots, especially when it's warm at warm in your like house, the boot smushes out on the sides. Yeah. And that's what like delivers the power to the ski, and so like how you manipulate that is important, but also like how that like rebound comes out is important too because that gives you power out of the turn yeah um so like at that point actually it already had like a very peculiar boot setup with head like i had a lot of cuts i had a lot of carbon in the back I had all these things um that had like made my like setup before this rule change really good yeah and i didn't want to mess with that too much because i liked how like the position it put me in especially like I mean, this is another like side tangent course setting at the time was like really tight and turny. And so you needed something that turned a lot. Nowadays, like back then it was like 24 meters from turn, GS turn to GS turn on average and like pretty turny. Nowadays it's like 28 meters and dead straight. So like the sports changed a lot as far as like course setting in that like that time frame. Yeah, okay. Um, but so like you needed something that would like crank a tight radius and like you could hold across the fall line as well. Yeah. Um, and so like I just had a lot of like cuts in it and like it wasn't just like down cuts, it was back cuts and like so the whole like the yeah. top of the boot so would you're like saying be, actual like cuts, you took like a knife, so the, the plastic. Yeah, we took like a Dremel and just like cut you cuts down and then cut you cuts back. But so then like load the back the of it with carbon to like keep the structural integrity of the boot while allowing the boot to kind of like fold. So move more like an ankle joint yeah, exactly. would move, but still be rigid all around. So yeah. laterally and back yeah. and stuff. Like it was still support. a stiff, it was still a stiff plastic. Yeah. Um, 
but it just had a lot of cuts so that you could like, you could actually like start cocking your angle without actually like having the boot just like zip or the ski and the boot just like zip in yeah. to the top of the turn. Um, this is getting like very wonky obviously, but like so, and like, so like in those iterations, like throughout the winter before they actually came, the rules came about, I started figuring out a lot of these things. Um, and also like another piece I'd figured out was that like in ski racing, like in GS course, they're like generally like a minute to a minute 20 long. But like at that point, it felt more like running, like at the bottom of the course, like my analogy for like what you feel like in the finish area would be like running a 400 with like a 50 pound backpack on. It's kind of like what, it, so you're like okay. winded, you're like your legs are heavy and winded, but like after skiing on the 35 meter skis, it felt like somebody did you told you to do max squats as many times as possible. So you didn't feel winded, right? but your legs were absolutely cooked. Like you had like just no more like muscle endurance or muscle strength left after like a fraction of the time because you're like so much more like manual usage like, of turning. Yeah, like using yeah. like full your like your full muscle strength, to like muscle these things around. Um, so like that gave me cues on like what I needed to like work on in the summertime. Um, okay. So you got stronger. Endurance. So, I mean, so it's like, if you're talking about like the physiology of like a ski racer, like if you're a cyclist, it's really simple. Like you do 90% A1, and you do a little bit of like threshold and you do a little bit of like super high intensity and that's like your workout scheme and like because you're trying to like build your efficiency ski racing we don't like fit into the, one of those things it's not like it's not just strength it's not just like endurance it's not just anaerobic it's like this weird smish mash of all those things yeah. um which i think makes it like complicated to like train for in a sense but i also think it like also makes it so there's not like one simple solution for it um so like one of the things i would like do was like i do these like muscle endurance workouts like you can actually look it up on youtube because like nbc did film like one of those and like it was basically i do like 10 squats at 315 i do uh 20 deadlifts at i think it was like 285 and then i would do a quad mill which is like a rotating like, platform and one single leg for 45 seconds, the other leg, like leg extensions heavy for 30 reps, uh, ham curls for 30 reps, um, like do like a slack line, and then what was like the other thing I would do in there? Something else, and then the end, I would, we had this eccentric leg press machine. So like you'd lift up one side, the hydraulic would lift up the other side, and then the way down you lifted both. And I'd do that for as many reps as I could. Um, and that, cooked you like you were like breathing hard kind of but like your legs were gassed we would do uh like centimeter like leg girth measurements before and after <laughs> yeah and like we i get three centimeters bigger like my wow. legs would just be like so fucking pumped with blood yeah. like just like like everything was like puffy so like so strongest you've ever been yeah really strong but also like i could lift you know like near my max weight five minutes into a workout as the same as I could at the start of the workout. Wow. Which is like, if you talk to somebody who's like a trainer, that is not like, that doesn't necessarily like match with any like, any other normal, normal system, like yeah. system training. Like, yeah. yeah. So, um, that was like a big part of my, my training there. And, um, and honestly, like those skis and the setup 
worked well for my skiing. Like my skiing was like a loopier, um, more like consistent pressure completed turn versus like, a lot of people who were like, would kind of like skid 10% of the turn and like hit hard. Yeah. And like, I would like do like a whoa, whoa, like a swoopier turn. And those skis really punished you if you slid them. Like you wouldn't get any rebound of the ski. And it almost got debt more dead. Yeah, they're like, they didn't give you anything. Yeah. Unless you like fully arced them, they didn't give, give you anything. And so like every single turn, if you like, obviously in World Cup, you can't arc every turn, but if you can just arc 10% more of those turns and swoopier and getting the rebound, yeah. made all the difference. So it matched my technique better too. So yeah, you actually, so, so if I'm uh, following along here, right, boots, getting the boots sort of right and, yep. uh, and allowing a bit more flex and not too like reboundy, yep. uh, changing the skis, physical stuff, but your technique wasn't, you didn't really change that that much. Is that I mean, right I, in a way? In a, like in a way, like I could just like amplify my strengths yes. to it. So that um, was your, your strength. Because yeah. we're talking with like, like Manny, he was saying that like, like he's, he's an excellent glider. Yeah. Like in all the gliding sections, he was saying like he was always faster, not on the other bits. And so that was his strength. And he's saying, when you know as a racer your strengths, like you really have to exploit them hugely yeah. and you don't try and take on other new things because that's a risk because you, you almost don't know if you can pull that off in time, you know, if you're going to work on something new. So, so your technique was already like, yeah, yeah, you were partway there with it, so you didn't have to. Yeah, I would mostly agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Cool. Cool. Yeah. So, do you like now free skiing? Like, do you play? Do you play with your boots much? To to this day? Not really now because like, I Don't mean, I'm to. not trying to like race, and I like I'm really lucky. Like my foot fits in a small boot without much work. I mean, I barely ever punched or ground or anything like that. So like. I was lucky in that sense. And like now I have like, for a normal person would be considered an extremely stiff boot. For, for me, it's considered extremely soft and like yeah. that works well. And like the latest head boot that I helped them develop a handful of years ago, I think is like fun and awesome. I mean, I have it like, I have a ton of lift now that I don't have to like be measured and, <laughs> um, and things like that. But otherwise, like I don't do anything too crazy. Yeah. I did work because you've got bare feet. I was looking at your feet because I'm the opposite. I've like quite a broad foot, really bony, and it's always been painful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I've noticed a lot of people that kind of do well, they do, they can just get in a ski boot, like a, a lot of the time, a plug boot 92 and just ski like for the whole day and they're not, yeah. not in pain. So that was something that's probably like on your side from the beginning. Like you yeah. looking at your feet, you haven't got like really a- No, I don't, have, like, I don't really have any bone spurns, yeah. No, so, no yeah, not I'm, even on your heel or anything. Yeah. No, so I get like the little like navicular thing on the top sometimes, but that was about it. Yeah, okay, cool, yeah. cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I know uh, I've heard in uh, other, other interviews you've done, you, you, you liked tinkering. Are there any other things that you tinkered with that that are not within the realms of, you know, cutting into the boot and adding carbon. Did you tinker with like binding lifts, binding placement? Uh, yeah, I mean, all those, every variable. Um, I mean, like one thing that like a lot of people would like make fun of me for was I did a lot of skiing with like one boot on each foot 
in training. And like, that's funny, like I talked to like some of the athletes who like, when they're testing, like in the middle of the season, they like need to be everything like perfect, like each foot's each foot. And like, I was like, I, you can go through twice as many setups if you just like zero in, like if you trust your feeling and you're like, okay, one, it doesn't work in slalom because slalom is like too tight. Like I can't have two different boots in slalom unless they're like almost identical and feel the difference. But in like GS and speed, like, oh, like you can really feel the difference from foot to foot. Mm -hmm. um, and so I did a lot of that. That was like kind of new, different that like not very many people were willing to do. But like in the time it took me to go through 10, 20 setups, you know, somebody else is going through five. Um, mm -hmm. So like in that sense, like I did go through like a lot of iterations and experimented. And then the same goes with like, um, I think like every person, like I think has a place where they mount the bindings on the ski and ramp angle that like kind of works for them and yeah. it ends up working for them across the board. Like I found out, actually I learned this like my first year on the ski team, like it was cool. Like my coach at the time, Adam Chadworn, that whole summer we didn't time against each other once, but we timed against ourselves. So like we wouldn't actually know if like we, he set up a slalom course, if it was 30 seconds long and I was a 30 seconds on the dot, I didn't know that Andrew Wybrack was what his time, if he was a 31 or 29, I just knew that I was, this run was plus oh four my. tenths my first run or minus three tenths my first run. And so yeah, I kept that secret from us all, all like summer long. So we only worked on our skiing versus ourselves. And then like, so within that, I like, we tinkered a lot because you weren't under like the competitive constraints of like, oh, I gotta beat Andrew today. Cause like, I wanna like, you know, cause I'm competitive, like that's yeah. just the nature of it. Yeah. Like, oh, I need to like, I can go play with all these things. And so like that year I figured out like, I always like my skis mounted, you know, two centimeters behind the recommended. And I always like, like kind of like my toe between kind of dependent on the skis or what was happening two to four millimeters down on the toe. And that was- You mean like- yeah, toe low. Toe low, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so that kind of like spread itself out um, throughout. I think on the 35 meter skis, I went even actually because. You're, you're centered. Yeah, I was, yeah, on, I had on the bindings, just the same height on the toe as the heel. Oh, that, right. Because yeah. when you go up at the toe, it makes the front of the ski hook up more. Yeah. And I just, I needed the ski to hook up more. Um, so I was building like, building it up to be more aggressive because it could be. Mm -hmm. um, but same like principle, I was still like way behind. Like me versus Alexi Pintero is like, I was two centimeters to three centimeters behind him all the time. Yeah, wow, like, that's so, quite a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Like even like my free ski skis now, I'm like, am I always mounting like two Back or three centimeters behind recommendation? Recommended, yeah. And that's <laughs> like, just cause I think I use my center mass and like I go, dump everything way forward through a part of the turn where if like the skis mounted normally, it just like feels like it's like, it just comes back to you. Yeah. 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 You can't yeah. open the turn up yeah. enough. Yeah. Okay. Hey, like switching gears a bit, you've got uh, a little boy. Yep. Jax. Um, you ski a lot with him. Yeah. Jax and I ski quite a bit. Um, he's five. Um, he actually broke his leg when I was skiing with him last year. So he didn't like, he missed like six weeks 
in the middle of the season and started skiing actually again last spring. Um, but yeah, skiing was fun with him. I mean, I, he was a ski school at Deer Valley as well, which is a lot more fun having them teach him. And then I go out and like reap the benefits yeah, of yeah, it. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> um, he's then like psyched to like show off to me like what he's learned or like these little zones he goes with them um, because he's not that keen on like me being the leader in that sense. So mm-hmm. that's fun. And then I have two year old twin boys as well, which. Um, one of them is like into playing past the day beyond skis. The other one doesn't want the skis clicked onto his feet. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And do you, would you say there's anything like, cause I got a, my boy, he's, he's into skiing and, uh, I was really afraid that he would not like skiing and I've tried to not push him and just bring him along. But if he doesn't want to go skiing, we, we don't go skiing. Is there anything you've learned that you would say pass on to like to other you know, keen skiers that have kids, like words of wisdom, have, have, has there been points where you've pushed it and you're like, regret it? Uh, like yeah, it? I mean, ski school is a beautiful thing. <laughs> Having other two people teach your kids is often, uh, you end up reaping the benefits. I mean, maybe that's like, I am stubborn and my son is stubborn and that's maybe like, he has that piece of him, a piece of me in him. So, um, that's like my recommendation, but yeah, I mean, like, at that age, like snacks and hot chocolate and, <laughs> yeah. and bribing to stay out is, is always a, is always a worthwhile thing and keeping them warm and all those things. So they're, you know, they don't get too pissed, you know, yeah. inevitably there's going to be like kid breakdowns in the mountain, but yeah. yeah, absolutely. And are you like, are you, cause you've joined, uh, the carve team, the, the digital ski coach. And so now you're kind of in this role of, of influencing people's skiing, yeah, right. So through this app, and you have this new mode where you can—it's like you've sort of developed a, a bit of a progression or suggested things to do. What have you learned from, like now, like it's not really about racing; it's just general skiing. Yeah, can you can you talk to that at all? Like, was it? Um, are you kind of like? Oh, it's hard, harder to teach people than I thought, or, or yeah. I mean, I'd say like I was even as like a racer, I was generally like very open about like sharing my like so-called secrets. Like, I don't know if you look at some other racers out there. I don't know Michaela or Marcel or whatever. Like, they don't want anybody videoing them or watching them or telling anybody anything. And like I was like, if I figured it out at this point, then like if you're copying me, then I'm three steps ahead of you. So I might as well just like blurt it out there and like. Yep. So I guess like I'd always like kind of shared what I learned. Like I did that like New York Times thing and like also like post a lot of my video and like thoughts on that over the years. And I would coach every summer at Mount Hood too. I had a camp there. So like I was kind of like in it in that sense. And then also like I'm a technique nerd, I guess. And so like I've thought about these things a lot over the years and skiing and ski racing is very technical. Um, I think like when I started first started working with Carve is like, okay, like take all these things I've known and learned and try to work on my skiing and then like adapt it to what we can measure with the unit, which actually like I was shocked by like was more than I would have guessed. Yeah. Um, and also like I've always believed like that like skiing starts from like the ground up, like people like get really hung up on like what people are doing with the upper body. And I'm like, 
you know, like everybody's like always would see me and just like swinging my arms, like that's the timing thing. And it's like maybe a way to like manipulate a little bit more speed out of the turn, but it's not like, that's not a technique thing. Like everything else was like happening, like waist down or, you know, yep. yeah, nipples down basically. So, um, I guess I was always in tune with that and like the carb unit like lends itself really well to like measure those things. And, you know, like a challenge for me always was like trying to like keep my shins parallel. Cause I did have like a tendency, especially like in slum to like be over my outside ski, but then my inside ski would like be way out in front and not like not tipped over enough, like the edge similarity side of things. So like have something that I worked on that is like the most easily measured by this was, this uh, unit, yeah. was, uh, by the carve was really like validating and it could do it like simply and accurately. So, um, you know, when I first like started talking with those guys, I was like very skeptical. Like I've seen a lot of these like ski gimmicks come and go over the years and been approached and talked to by a lot of them. And most of them are BS or pretty much every single one I'd see to that point is, was BS. And so when I gave it a try, I was actually like pleasantly surprised that like actually this thing, is measuring things in my skiing that are real and like yeah. picking out things that like you think are important that I think are important, but also yeah. like things I know in my own skiing that like my coach would know who's been with me forever, but I like could see like in a particular day or a turn, but like the average person will never notice yeah. the average, even coach would never notice in my skiing. Yeah. Um, where this could like pick it out, which I thought was, uh, was pretty unique. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, had, a, I had a similar experience when I first tried it. Um, I went down and then I was looking at the stuff and it's like, your four and a half balance is, is really not very good. You're really back. I was like, no, I'm not like, or I didn't feel it anyway. So I try, I um, was talking with a friend and he's like, you should try a gas pedal. Like perhaps something's going on there. And anyway, so I put some business cards under the toes and, and did it and did another run. And, and as you just mentioned before, like with your binding with the, the longer skis tip hooked up and I could feel my forefoot for the first time probably ever, like, or more than yeah. before. And so it just helped me to figure out, like for my anatomy, I, I needed a flatter sort of boot board. So it was, it was just, without that, I don't know how long it would have gone before not ever really feeling the front of the ski yeah. have, have controlled it. So it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So how did the carve camp go? That was just, on recently? Yeah, I just did a camp with Deer Valley and we use the carve as kind of the augment and, and use it as a tool. And also like, because they have the program within carve, like it's kind of like a way to, within the camp, we like worked on like the same things that we work on within like the actual app in my like TED mode or training yeah, Olympian, whatever, yeah. whatever you want to call it. So like, it was cool to be able to like use what we like can learn about somebody's skiing within carve and coach them like on the hill personally, but also like it gives them like a path to like keep getting better because like three day camp, like there's only so much you can really do. Like you can change somebody's ski and give them a lot of ideas. Um, but this like, they can then go measure the ideas. And then with like, cause I have a program in there, like they can also kind of follow the same kind of criteria. Yeah. Um, so that was fun. Like everybody's really psyched on it. And I think, you know, like a lot of people like skiing did actually make a big jump. Yeah, cool. Um, so it was, it was, it was fun in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, nice. If you're serious about stepping up your skiing skills, listen up. I've been working closely with the Carve team for over four years, 
and they've just unveiled a groundbreaking feature, Active Coaching Mode. And here's the lowdown. Launch it at the top of your run and go through a quick calibration with 10 turns, and it sets a baseline just below your current skill level. From there, every turn is a challenge, adapting on the fly to your skill, terrain, and conditions. No fluff, just a gamified experience pushing you to ski better every turn. It does this by using a super thin insole lined with small pressure sensors and motion detectors. It's like having a personal coach analyzing your every move. And here's the sweet part. If you hit a hot streak with excellent form and you're in for double or triple points, it's addictive, rewarding. Like I said, it's a very gamified experience and it transforms every run into a step towards better skiing. If you're intrigued, and you should be, check out Carve and dive into active coaching mode. Just Google Get Carve to find out more, and as a bonus, enter code GELLY15 to take 15% off. It's amazing. I've heard from the Carve team that now nearly over a third of the users are using active coaching mode when they go out and ski with it. So why not give it a try yourself? And like totally different topic, but... You, you when did you start your goggle and protection company was that that was while you were still yeah so and was that your idea or did someone approach you like how did that all how did that all start uh i mean so like originally like i was my first year on the ski team um i was at a fist race in italy and this guy in the race had these like carbon fiber shin guards um that looked really cool and at the time like all the shin guards were just you know like cheap plastic looking things and a team man and I just like hey like where'd you get those things what are those he's like oh I made them in my garage um and he is like an engineer working for a carbon fiber company and um just made these like cool shin guards in his garage and we're like hey can you make us some he's like yeah and so that's how I originally met Carlo who's my partner in Shred um and so he started like prototyping protective gear like shin carbon fiber shin guards and then like carbon fiber arm guards which they're like the first actual arm guards like worn outside of the suit um and so we just kind of developed this like friendship there and then after the 2006 olympics i didn't want to be caught dead skiing with a uvex a brico a carrera or any of that stuff outside of a race course like and that was like really the only options but also like if I raced with a Smith or an Oakley, it just wasn't going to work because like the, the, the frames weren't big enough to be able to like, have a big enough field of view to see in gates, which honestly for like the normal consumer, whether it's like somebody going to sideswipe you or skiing trees or whatever, like the product just didn't like, wasn't good. So I was like, there needs yeah. to be, I need something that I think is cool, but also like I need something that helps me in my own racing. And, and because I was like a tanker and, and I loved like the product side of things. Um, that was like the initial idea for Shred and Shred was like a nickname a coach of mine gave me when I was like 10 years old, Ted Shred. Yeah. Um, and so Carlo was actually out in Park City staying at my house and on a mountain bike ride and I was telling you about this. He's like, like, actually I know where a goggle manufacturer is. Let's like, let's go see if like they can make something for us or what they have and what we can do. And then six months later we, we started it and started getting pumping product out and what year um, was that now it was like late fall or late like late like november 2006 and then early in 2007 when we first started selling them okay um and so yeah we've come a long ways i mean nowadays like he ended up going to like mit for business school and so we work with mit sports lab for a lot of like our projects like our lens technology and like so 
for being like one of the only, or probably like the only innovative, like independent company out there, like having, you know, patents and technologies that like not even the biggest companies out there have or can perform is, is pretty cool to be like on that cutting edge. And I mean, we always like think of it like, okay, like I want to solve a problem that like I had or like yeah. better my performance. Like, I don't know, like example would be like flat light, like in racing, like you're skiing flat light and then the sun pokes out, that's like two seconds. So if you can like create a lens that is a little bit better in flat light, instantly like you can shave a half second off your time. Um, so that's like a big thing we worked out. Like now we've worked with MIT for a few years and creating like our latest um, lenses that like can you, are can shocking. You kinda, can you kind of speak into maybe simple language how that's like what things factor into that? It's uh, like yeah. lens tint and like polarized filters. So like what like they can do, you make it better than the human eye? Yes, you can help the human eye. See. Yeah, because you can add. So like. There's always like, so we have like a polarizing filter. So like, like there's always, but if you do full polarize, you don't catch all like the glare. So you need some glare off the snow because snow is reflective. Yeah. Even when it's like full white out, you need to like filter out a little bit of that because then they actually see, you can say like pick up a little bit of the shadows and definition. And then the right tint can actually like bring out some of that, um, that contrast as well. Um, and the way we do that is like in a light room where we like have snow simulated and simulate flat light. Yeah. And then we do like human and AI testing and then we map it out. Um, and then that way we can like do hundreds of iterations really, really fast. Yeah. Wow. Um, and yeah, that's how we like came out with our, like our latest contrast boosting lens 2.0. That's like wild. So do me an example on that. Like athletes, don't generally like switching equipment up, especially like something like goggles in the middle of the season. And we launched that right before the Olympics and 90% of the Olympics was full sun, so it didn't really matter. Yep. And the guys used it. But then on the GS, men's GS day, it was nasty, like snowed a ton. And um, one of our athletes, uh, Matthew Favre, he was you know getting fifth to 20th every race. And like, it was nasty out and he got third and he used that lens when normally he was not like somebody who would have just switched up on a race day. Yeah. And he didn't had his best race of the year. Um, and a couple of our athletes in the, in that race also like had the best days of their, their year. Um, yeah, wow. and not to like credit that all, sure, but like that yeah. definitely, like, I think had, you know, a slight play in that. But, yeah. Um, the small percentages yeah. all add up. So right? yeah, that's like, we always like try to like not think about like the marketing gimmick, but like actually like what's going to help the best person in the world. But my wife like is not going to go skiing when it's flat light. <laughs> she is in the lodge. Yeah. Um, she's not, she's not keen to go out there. And so if that keeps her out in the slopes, then it's a win that helps anybody. So can, can yeah. she rip a turn? She's a good skier. She grew yeah. up like playing soccer and then skied for fun here and there. And then she was a snowboarder when I first met her and now she's a skier again. So, I, I don't coach her. I don't think she'd appreciate that, but she, she can ski anywhere and she, she skis fast. She skis faster than I'm really comfortable with, I guess, a lot of the time. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. And she, it, like, she gets out like a yeah, few, she, few times a week and yeah, yeah, yeah that's cool. Yeah. That's yeah, it's cool. hard not to when you live in Park City. I know, yeah. yeah. And this season's been awesome yeah, been too. Yeah. yeah. So is your, your season now, what is it sort of, 
look like? Do you get to still spend a lot of time at home and or are you off around different places a lot? Uh, I mean, now, I mean, versus when I was racing, I'm home a ton more, obviously. Um, and this year, yeah, I've around quite a bit. I mean, I still like have to travel a little bit here and there for um, either business shred or like some various like stuff with sponsors or, or whatnot. Um, so still some travel, but not anything too crazy. Like it's generally like five day trips versus before is weeks and months trips. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. Hey, so I've got like maybe one, maybe one, two more questions, but I've asked a lot of people uh, like races, what their favorite drills were, like effective drills, like and probably thinking like more back when you were d developing like as a junior, like Shlopi was like one ski, and uh, and uh, I don't know if you know Jimmy Krupka. Yeah. Yeah. He he was like yeah one ski for sure, and like <laughs> that up and over drill, and um, yeah. So is there do you do you have some like like one or two drills you thought really were influential in helping you like really get like foundational technique, not like what, you know, arcing the turn, but just like good solid ski technique. Yeah. So I actually have like really strong opinions on drills. Like yeah, I find it really annoying when people are doing drills and they're not on an arc. So like for me, I hated drills going up. And if it wasn't a drill that wasn't arcing, I thought it was pointless. Cause like if you're doing a drill, you need to see what it actually influences in the arc. And so like I see on the World Cup, like all these guys have these little drill rituals and they're just like sliding these turns and doing these weird arm movements. It's like, you don't even know how that's influencing your ski. Like do it on an arc and then you know how it's influencing the ski. So that's like one piece on drills. Um, so a drill I do love is like one ski skiing. Like I do love that, Trying to especially arc. on like a flatter train. And, yeah. um, not only for just like the ability to like have the balance and like switch the edge, but also it just like helps you get the feeling of like locking your hip in and also like strengthens like glute meat and glute and all those areas that like, so I think that's like a great fitness drill, but also like a drill in general. Another one I like is like javelin turns also like on kind of flat where you can arc. So that also does the same thing. Like feels like you lock your hip in. Yeah, that um, like that that what you say there that lock the hip in thing. I, I know what you mean. Yeah. And would you probably say that the people that came on your camp, like you would have really loved to just been able to have like an injection needle that just gave them that feeling because a lot yeah, of them just, don't. Yeah. Have, it's, it's like I mean, it's just like staying strong over your outside foot in like a manner that like you're stable in. You know, like a lot of yeah. people will like try to push the outside ski out to like get around. Um, or doing all these motions it's just like it's really just like resisting the force and like doing you know one ski or javelins like why do you think the javelin why do you reckon the javelin because you know so if people don't Cause I like, like how like it like bringing the tip over actually like brings you like it twists your hips just enough that you're actually like loaded even better over the outside ski um, so it kind of teaches the part where you've got to like have this little rotation yeah, just like a, like a slight like yeah counterbalance of it like yeah of, like, not force. much right but just yeah. yeah and so you get that um, feeling from that yeah from that drill but yeah I I like your uh, and then like on flats like railroad tracks like just trying to keep like the shins perfectly parallel and whether you like reach down and you're like inside hand your inside knee trying to push your hand your knee against the hand is a good one um, but yeah like overall like 
I mean, there's drill. There's some other more drills that I like, but generally, like, I'm not a big big drill fan. Yeah. So yeah, like you said, <laughs> when you when you yeah. when you're when you're in the sort of development stages, you would get annoyed, like, oh god, the coach oh, like is wedge making, turns. Like, yeah. why am I doing wedge turns right now? Like, this, why do you want me to slide a turn? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm trying to learn how to arc here, not, and I want to feel like what manipulating my body feels like on an arc. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not just like smashing through the boot on a slided ski, slid, slid ski. Yeah, yeah. It was funny, like, because uh, Manny, after he broke his leg, we were talking, he, he went and did, after it's like, what am I going to do? And he did his levels in, in Canada in ski instructing. And, and like, he found it really difficult. I mean, you know, relatively speaking, to, he was like, the, this is like the first time I slid a turn in like, <laughs> 10 years yeah. and like he's being made to, to do all that um, so yeah but I get your point about like if what you're trying to do is really be fast on an arc like do everything that makes just that so yeah yeah cool awesome well thanks for your time Ted yeah really appreciate your, uh, your insights and uh, yeah sharing your knowledge with us yeah. thank you no problem awesome sweet that's it cool thank you Easy.